Welcome to the Tea with Tamara podcast. I'm Tamara Arnold. And it wasn't that long ago that I was a broke single mom drinking way too much, completely detached from everything. Now I've written multiple books, downloaded I Could Read Chakras, and I'm a channel for the universe. I'm a real person with real stories, and I can't wait to share them with you. So grab a warm bevy and let's have some enlightened conversation to live our best life. Oh my goodness, you guys, I am so excited to introduce you to Kelly Sheets today on the podcast, who is an absolute light in this world. We have crossed paths almost many times. And so this was our first chance to dive deep in and get to know each other. And I have to tell you, I want more Kelly Sheets in my life. That is for sure. So sit back, grab your coffee, tea, whatever warm bevy you have, because this episode is so incredible and truly a testament to opening up to the magic of the universe and following the path that is laid out before you from an early age on. Hey, everybody. I am so excited. I have an incredible guest here today that, in all honesty, I have, we were just talking, our paths have like crossed-ish so many times like those we could have met many times and we just haven't so i'm excited and curious to dive deep into a a conversation with kelly sheets that i have as my guest today and to share her life journey and her experience and and her path with you guys hey kelly how are you i'm great thanks for having me I'm really excited about this conversation. (laughs) I'm so excited about this conversation. And so I kind of just need a baseline on where we can start with. So why don't you kind of just give a little intro into who you are and what you do? Yes, I I'm actually, I call myself a leadership coaching consultant because that's where my background is. I, I worked in executive management and then I ultimately became a consultant. And then as I was working with organizations, I loved working with the leaders. So I started working just one-on-one with the leaders. And what's been super interesting, actually, this is, I was writing about this earlier before we got on the call, is that in 2016, I noticed a pattern that changed where I used to work with more managers and executives and serious entrepreneurs. Most of the people I work with now are creatives. So like creative entrepreneurs, artists, writers, photographers, stylists, it's crazy. So it's been really fun. So that's primarily what I do now. I work with, um, I'm a coach for oftentimes creatives. So. so, which I think is fascinating. So mm-hmm. you were saying that you were in corporate consulting and things like that. Was that what you started with? Like, did you study that in school and was like, I'm going to be, you know, a corporate consultant one day? No, <laughs> absolutely not. I would have like keeled over if you said that that's what I would be doing. So I got a degree in recreation therapy. And so, okay. and I don't know if you know what that is, but recreation therapy is very similar to occupational therapy. So I got to work in an acute rehab unit with people who had like brain injuries or amputation, and I helped them become functional in their lives using recreational activities. Things they, like if they liked to play basketball and now they had a leg amputated, I would help them play basketball again with an amputation, maybe with a prosthetic, so that they could actually have a meaningful life afterwards. And that is the thread that's actually gone through. It's like helping people have a meaningful, fulfilled life. And I stumbled into that degree because I had no idea what I wanted to do. And 
like in college, I moved into this room with a friend and she was like, oh, I'm studying recreation therapy. So I said, well, what's that? And then like a week later, that was my major. So yeah, so I did that. And so I worked in this amazing acute rehab unit. It was awesome and fulfilling. And then I moved out of the city. Um, I went to start traveling overseas after four years and uh, I had to find a job. What city was that in? I just like, I don't know why, but I love like the the grounds and like where people are. Yeah. San Francisco. It was an epic time in San Francisco. It was when the dot-com era was happening. It was really, really neat time. Yeah. So, and I left after four years of awesomeness in the city and we started, I had a boyfriend at the time. We started traveling overseas and moved down to Ventura, California. And um, when we were in the States, that's where we were. And I needed to find a job and I couldn't find anything of that caliber, like that interesting. And I stumbled into a management job and it was at an elder care community. So I don't know. This is like all things just happen. I have no idea why they happen. And I became a manager in elder care community. And I ended up working in that field for like another 10 years was uh, doing management of these kind of communities. My curiosity goes to, so you're in San Francisco. I'm going back there just because I'm like, yeah, so, yeah. so like nonchalantly, you're like, yeah, I was like booming. Everything was amazing. I had this amazing <laughs> job. Everything felt so right. So I decided to just leave it all to go traveling around the world. What was the, like, what instigated yeah. that? shift of thought in that perspective to like go off. Yeah. Well, because I, I think if you like, as people know me, they would say Kelly's really curious because it's actually my tagline. I choose to be curious because I'm always the one that's like, I want to try something new and explore always in the realm of how can I grow and be more fulfilled and learn about life. And so I was, I was having an amazing time. Everything was going really well and they didn't want me to leave the job and I still just had the, the curiosity I think of other cultures and other life outweighed like the time was done almost and that's not how I think my whole life's been like there's this period of time and I don't leave because it's bad I leave because I'm just more curious about what else is there like a really cool to quality to have and now I'm just jumping is that like something that you work with people with now is that that knowing of when the time to like move to the next step or to the next venture or things like that is that like partially yeah it's definitely part of what I do because usually people come to me because they've gotten to the place where they've had coaches and they've done classes and they've had careers or maybe they've done really amazing they're very successful but there's that nagging feeling of Oh, when I look through all of my client notes, like, again, about two years ago, I realized there was a pattern where people were saying, there's got to be something more. There's got to be something else. This isn't enough, even though they'd had all these achievements. And so that's really that thing for me is I always work with people who have that nagging curiosity about what else is there. And sometimes it means they, they're ready to leave their job. But more times than not, I find that it's actually time for them to go deeper into what they're doing so that they know where they really want to go, not just jump to another job and, and run around doing another thing. Cause that's, I did a lot of that. And what I learned was that I was really seeking to go in more, to learn more about what was available in that opportunity, not to just go like, Oh, here's, let me go find the next opportunity. <laughs> and like so. running away from one thing to the next thing to the next yeah. thing. Yeah. The problem like doesn't go to away. Me. We just changed I, the actual landscape of where yeah. we are. Yeah. So how old were you when you got back to now this, like this management position in California, right? Like, as you've gotten California, you yeah. are, you started this management role in the elderly. Where are you in your life, life, human life right now? I story? was about 25 at that time. So really young still. Like that's, yeah, that's I was really young. 
And that was really surprising when I ended up getting um, that job so young. And that was why it was, it was really interesting because I, that's when I realized that I was really a, I'm kind of a natural leader because of my curiosity, because I'm, I'm pretty self uh, focused. Like I'm always looking at how can I grow? And then I love to help other people grow. So I like became this leader right away and stumbled along for a while. (laughs) You know, I was 25, I was young. And then I just became pretty good at it. And my staff loved me. I ended up having um, 100 seniors at one place I worked at, 30 staff members, all the community members. It was a nonprofit, so I had that. And all these elements. And I felt like I was on the fast track to like, education on leadership. I had to manage all those parts. So at a young age, I was looking at all that, like interpersonal dynamics. How do I, um, how do I grow and learn and engage with people and help them be the best? And how do I help all of these people in my realm get what they need without manipulating, controlling? It was really fascinating to me because I think that at 25 like I I know that my thought was like oh I can't do this I'm not good enough I'm not worthy enough I'm not deserving like you know what I mean like those were things that I would have been dealing with in that time and here you are did you did you have any of those thoughts feelings and emotions as you were like thrust into this amazing like leadership role not really so here's what's been interesting to me you know now I've been doing this I'm 44 well yeah I'm 44 I just turned 44 um so I just turned 44 and I was reflecting on that, how when I look at me in comparison to some of my clients and I was thinking, well, did I have those experiences? And something I realized was I was always very confident. So I don't know where that came from, but I beat the crap out of myself inside. So externally, I could show up, I could speak on a stage, I could manage people and help, but there was this internal barrage of self-judgment, you suck voices inside. And so that was really, I, it didn't stop me from doing the outside stuff. And that's what I find is fascinating. Like I was going to go and push and learn. I was almost bullying myself inside to create outside. So I would never say no to an opportunity because that's what my bully did. <laughs> right. That's, but that's like such a dichotomy, right? To be so confident and, and to portray that as like yeah. a, you know, a strong force, look at me go, like I can do anything, but then to be, listen, have that voice within you that wasn't right. saying nice things, that was trying to cut you down, that was, you know, right. not believing in you. So did that ever affect you moving at any point in your journey? Like where that voice inside kind of was like, okay, I'm going to win now. <laughs> or was it that you just continued doing the external and eventually that you you worked on the inside to come parallel with each other yes yes it did change um the first thing i want to say is that what i realized over like some awareness the last few years is that i two things i was a high achiever mindset person right i was gonna create the epic lifestyle and i did but how i drove myself was through like 50 percent insane curiosity and 50 percent i'm gonna beat the crap out of myself to get there that is how I drove. That was the, and so now I meet a lot of high achievers that have that. It's like a low grade anxiety. Like you better go, you got to do this. If you don't do this, you know, like you're going to fail. Nobody's going to like you. Like there's some drive from that internal voice. Just burnout. What's that? And that never led to burnout? No, never. It led to my internal exhaustion. And that's what happened many years ago. It was about when I got together with my boyfriend now, Jeff, we've been together nine years. And when we got together, he was the one who really started helping me reflect 
he would be so kind and I would receive it mentally like, oh, that's very nice of you. But I could not receive it emotionally at all. I had this huge barrier. And that was when things started changing because I started learning about uh, not just the external creation, but the internal creation was that how, how unkind I was to myself, how, how could I still be a high achieving person, meaning like creating what I want, not what the world thinks, but creating what I want, but not doing it through beating myself up. And so in the last five years, I would say, finally, it's begun, not begun, now it is, that I don't have that voice anymore. Now I, I operate from a curiosity, a kindness, a true, like, oh, what else is possible here? Not at that driving force. Right. And did that, like, so was that the time that you started to start working with creatives? Was it the, you know, because it took four years. Listen, I'm doing my math as you're talking. So I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. she meant. Yeah, yeah, it took a long like, time for him to, to, to integrate into my system where, and then he is a coach and a teacher, and he's given me a lot of practices to feel what was happening. And it took time because I was a little resistant too. Like, well, what if I don't, you know, what if you stop? What if you get rid of the thing that drives you forward? Will you keep going forward? Would I still create an awesome life? That was the fear, I think. So when finally I just, that's where the exhaustion happened. I was just like, you know what? I'm willing to risk it all. Maybe I'm going to epically fail in life. I'm going to fail as a coach. I'm going to fail. And I'm just going to be a big blob, right? Like I had to take the risk that I don't know. I was just going to disappear. And then so I, I think, I think so that we all get to this. This is my favorite conversation too. I call it, I call it the blind leap, right? Like it's like where yeah. you're at that moment and you don't know what the outcome is going to be, but the, you can't be where you are anymore. It's just right. too uncomfortable. And so without any knowing of what it's going to look like on the other side. Right. You just go. We just jump. Right. And yeah. so going back, cause you were in your, the managerial position at the old folks home elderly home that's not nice Tamara um and <laughs> <laughs> that's okay we used to joke and call it like when I lived it because I actually lived in a place for four years it was pretty awesome but um we used to call it them the oldies and they would laugh about that because it was like with love you know yes yes so that's what I call my mom and my grandmother is the oldies so like I mean yeah. I do it with the, the endearment in mind as yeah. well so then how did you get into coaching from being in a managerial position so I was doing that. And then I had other friends in the industry that were saying, there's so many, there's so much complexity here. So during that work period, I negotiated three weeks off every three months. I said, I want to go travel. <laughs> so I want to work three months and have three weeks off and go travel and come back and forth. And I, and basically my guarantee was that if I do this, I'll be the best manager you've ever had because I knew I wanted to refuel. I knew I had to live. I couldn't just get into a nine to five. I would just die. So I did. They, they said, oh, wow. They were, I think they were completely blown away by my boldness that I would ask for such a thing. Came back to me and said, okay, let's do it. And basically, we were only doing it if it works. So I had to become a really good manager. I had to become a leader. And that's the difference between a manager and a leader is that, you know what? I had to become a leader. So when I was gone for three weeks, off in Indonesia or Asia somewhere, I wasn't on the phone. I didn't have a cell phone. So they had to run that place so well. So I had to learn how to empower everybody on the team to run the place so well. Then people saw that happening and they started saying, well, why don't you come and do a little bit of that with my staff and my team? And then that's where that evolved. And I played in that realm for a while. And then finally just said, really, I want to do it with the people running the show because the, the, 
the leaders that are doing this, they need to learn how to be the leader so that they can step away too and have more free time and not be just consumed by their work. And that was really that transition. It just happened. I had no plan for it. What's the Michael Singer book? The uh, not not the Untethered Soul. What's the other? oh the Surrender Experiment? Yes, this almost feels like the Surrender Experiment yeah. in which you know what I mean. The universe just kept leading you, leading you, leading you, and you just kept listening, listening, listening as just yeah. your path shifted and changed to match what was going on. And it, that's the thing: is it never? Nothing has stopped. It's a constant evolution. Like I've had so many of those moments of leaping into the unknown. I'm constantly in the unknown now. I probably, it's the most uncomfortable thing to be, I'm in the unknown. I don't know every day. It's like truly the older I get, the less I know. The less I know for clients, the just the more curious I am, the less I know what I'm going to do. How's this going to pan out? Is this the right decision or not? I don't know. But I'm just always now I have the sense that if I'm on that edge, that feeling of discomfort and a little bit of chaos, like that I want to control it. I know that if I'm on that edge, there's probably something good happening. It might not be good in the moment. It just that it will be good. You know, like <laughs> I just think that this is really powerful. This is a really powerful, uh, you know, tidbit that you've just dropped on everybody because I don't know how many times my listeners and even myself or the clients that I'm working with get to that space of, I just don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Like there's, there's going to be something magical that happens. And, and there, you know, we, I say like, we never know what we're doing. That's how we know we're moving in the right direction. If we actually knew, we'd be really comfortable. Nothing yep. exceptional happens in the comfort place. And yep. so the discomfort is not knowing. And so mm-hmm. you just got comfortable being uncomfortable. Right. And I'm, I still work at it because our, our mind, the subconscious mind, just wants to be familiar and comfortable, not happy and healthy. It does not care about your happiness and your health. It cares about your familiar and comfortable. So I have to watch that every day where it would be very comfortable to just fall back into, let me control this and let me do it the way I've already done it before. I know what this did. Even if it failed, I know what I did. Or let me listen to some other expert that's going to tell me how to do it because they did it that way. And then that to me is like the sign that Kelly, you're just, this is familiar stay in the discomfort of unknown. And then the discomfort, I can stop calling it so much discomfort. Now uh, in our house, we call it, like Jeff says, embrace the chaos, Kelly. Embrace the chaos. Because it's really the chaos of energy. It's just like the energy's moving and you, you don't know what's going to happen. So it feels chaotic. And there's so I, all the possibilities exist in that moment. So, so now we're talking energy, which is like, that's my jam. Yeah, Kelly, that's yeah, yeah. my jam. Um, <laughs> Was it pre-Jeff or post-Jeff that you started to open your eyes up to the world of energy and spirituality? Because I'm just curious. Well, I, I opened my eyes to it years ago because, I mean, for me, I didn't grow up with religion. I grew up knowing there was something else, but not knowing what it was. And I grew up in the backyard, in the woods. And so I was like, I know there's stuff going on here, you know, and my family's not talking about it, but I know there's something more. So I was always intrigued by the unknown, by the mystical, by, you know, all the things we don't know. Magic. Yeah, the magic. So uh, my travels were, I'm going to go to the next teacher, to the next book, to the next temple, to the next church, to the next culture, to the next thing. I was always looking for the place where the magic was, you know? 
So I always had that. But when I met Jeff, it's like the puzzle pieces came together because he's, he's a master of understanding energetic dynamics between humans and situations. And that has enlightened me. I'm like, oh my God, everything I do is either an expansion or a deflation. I'm either wasting energy, I'm receiving it, I'm giving it away. I'm like, it's just all this energy stuff. And so he's given me like, a, um, I say he's like at the PhD level. I'm like in the beginner, beginner master's program of understanding energy. <laughs> well, I don't so know, he like, changed it. Yeah. I think it's a powerful thing to say that it's very linear, everybody. It's very linear. Like we are all one. It's just somebody is a couple steps forward. Like they're a little further on the path and they're just reaching back. And so like, I just want to paint the picture that this isn't like a level thing at all. Like it's just very universally like a flat surface. We are all standing on that. You know, some of us are like really standing in one area and you may be standing in the other, and it can come forward. So once he started to te- like basically open your eyes to this beautiful energetic world that we live in, that was when you started to stop like having these voices in your head that, um, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. were not necessarily being the nicest. And you started to realize that putting yourself first was the most important thing. Is that kind of what happened, or ha- what? Well, like, what I mean, was- myself was always first. I mean, the people would say when I was young, I was selfish. Yeah. I'm. I, and I don't mean, I don't know that I've ever been a selfish person, but I don't have kids. I don't have a house. I don't have a lot of responsibilities. So people will often be like, you know, people that have kids in a house and the whole, the whole shebang, sometimes they'll be like, you're so selfish. But the Good. truth is I, I think of myself as like, honestly, I've embraced these words in the last year, radically self-centered. I'm always wanting to come back to center. And that was really what happened was that instead of me thinking I was going to find the thing externally. I began to shift and recognize I could sit here in my freezing cold central Oregon little house and be more expanded, more joyful, more loving, more kind than ever. And that came from the energetic awareness because I realized all this is happening inside and the softer I can be, the kinder I can be to myself. That just is how I am to other people. Whatever I'm being is what is it. I, in a meditation in Bali a couple of years ago, I got this every single morning, the same thing came to me and it was above all else, who you're being determines your results. When I first heard that, I was like, oh, that's interesting. That really aligns with how I've seen my life happen. But now I practice that all the time. And so I recognize that if I'm centered and, and aware of how I'm being, the state of being I'm in, that's when I'm just radiating it out and results happen from that. And that was the big shift that happened was that I need to be more responsible with my states of being, not what I'm creating on the outside. That's secondary. So um, that is extremely beautiful, by the way. I think that that is powerful. I truly believe in that as well. And, but I know that there's some people listening that haven't even reached that, that space yet. So when you started that journey into yourself, into finding that inner being, what were the, th- the types of things that you began this practice with? Like, how did you begin not listening to that voice that was saying mean things to you and to snuff yeah. out all of that? Well, part, the first thing was, is that um, Jeff came, has actually has, assist, has created this system of subtle movements not like a big yoga practice, but these everyday movements. And finally, when I got over myself, I was like, okay, I'm going to actually do these things every day. So I, I made myself an altar. I sit down, I created a routine. You're going to pay attention inside and you're going to set an alarm and you're not going to like the voices will come in because the voices in the beginning would still come in. 
this is stupid. Why are you doing this? You got to do, oh my God, you forgot to call so-and-so, you know, like those voices would just be a barrage of constant, uh, Noise. Like in the front, they, in the, first they were in the foreground. Then as I sat down and I paid attention to some of the movements that were happening in my body or gently moving my body, I began to be aware of the sensations in my body. And slowly the voices became in the background because I, now all of my focus was on feeling. So it's like a meditation practice, but it's more movement. So it's not so sit down and be still. And then after I did that more, the voices began to dissipate because I no longer put value on them. I put the value on, oh, wait a minute. If I can get intimate with all that this is going on inside, I started recognizing I have the power to change my state of being like this. Oh, that's um, the sensations I'm feeling. These are sensations that are fear, right? This is part of the recipe of fear. Let me, let me, can I change that? Let me change the sensations. And because by going inside, I learned to change it. I started realizing I don't have to give the voices so much value because they're just weak. You know, like they had something to say and they would always say the same thing. But this practice of going inside, I started learning, I'm like, wait a minute, there's this whole new world in there. That's more interesting to me. I'm going to give value to this exploration rather than those voices. That's all it was. Like it wasn't like the voices went away because I made them go away. I made them bad. I just stopped giving them value. Right. Right. So this like a lot of things that you say, and I don't know if you like practice the seven spiritual laws at all. Um, but some, so much of this has value in like just really the universal laws of the universe and the energy as a whole. Yeah. Um, is that part of your practice? Like, is that how you and Jeff like look at life now as, in the world and like interactions and, and communication, um, collaboration, things like that? It's, I would say it's on the fringes of it because a lot of that's so in the beginning when I was learning this stuff, it was mental, right? So I would hold on to like theories and practices so I could understand where I might want to go. But then what I started realizing was I'd spent all my life valuing my mind and what it had to say and how, what it thought and how it understood. And that was when the shift began where I was like, let me take the risk. I'm going to jump off the cliff and I'm going to devalue all my thoughts and all the systems. And I'm just going to go within and feel. And that was, that was the big leap. And, and I'm just going to be honest with you and telling you, saying this out loud, sometimes it, it gets, I feel nervous talking about it because it's so anti, we're supposed to understand more, right? We're supposed to know more and think more and get it. And, and really what I've learned is I don't understand a lot of times, but I feel something and then I respond to what's occurring, and then I just act. So there's not really a system. Like I did read the like the spiritual laws of success and universal law. I've read that like maybe five years ago or so. I, I someone introduced me to it. Mm-hmm. It was really cool, mm-hmm. but I don't necessarily follow any of that. I think some of it comes in and out with some of this stuff because well, it does align with it. Well, and it totally does. But I think that the the greatest gift we give ourselves is truly allowing the knowing. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, like we all innately know, like we're all yep. more, like knowing, like, you know what I mean? Like when I downloaded, yeah. I could read chakras. I just knew it as truth. Like I didn't know anything about chakras. What the fuck was that? Right. But right. I was like, I just knew when I received it that I was like, yes, I can do that. Yeah. And I think that like, that's the, the biggest gift we give ourselves is yep. to step into the knowing. Yeah. As opposed to the needing to learn. Yeah. And that is absolutely like one of the things I give to my clients because most of my clients are very mindy in the beginning because they've been trying to make it all happen. 
I'll be like, it's time to go on an information detox because I feel like what I've learned is that my mind is just one of the, one of my assets, but we learn in our culture that is the thing. Like you've got to know, and then we're going to be tested on it. And someone's going to say, what do you think about this? And then if you know the thing, you sound really great and you're really valuable. But if you don't know, if you say, I don't know, all of a sudden we're, we lose some of our value in our culture. So it's really a risk to, to recognize that the mind is not the most important thing here. Like the mind is one of the things we have. And I think, um, you know, like even in some Asian cultures to talk about your true nature, right? Like, I really believe that at our, at our core, we are love, we are kindness, we are curiosity, we are knowing, we, like, we just are that. And all the other stuff gets layered on and the mind participates in that. The mind will mind layer stuff the on. the number one participant <laughs> yes. in it that. Will just, it will well, just like, layer hey, stuff on that you have like, to unpeel. Right? The mind wants to separate us from that oneness, from that yes. connection, from you know, our source whatever source yeah. we have and the mind yeah. is like you don't want to be in this happy place where everything's easy and in flow like let's totally make this a struggle and difficult exactly. and challenging <laughs> right let's figure out another plan here something that's going to make it more complicated right because how many times and i'm sure that this happens with your clients is like people make things hard yeah absolutely it's easy and then we make it hard and then you're just like how do I peel this back to get to the simplest form of being of service of showing up of doing all of these things so I really want to touch go back and touch on the shift that occurred so you've been doing this work for four years and coming back into that center space and I like I truly want to know if that was the catalyst do you think that shifted the perspective of the universe to bring you a different person to serve. Oh, I do. I do. Because so here's what I think happened, right? So I started noticing all these creatives were coming in and now that's like my main focus. I I just got back from Bali. I take creatives to Bali now. Like how easy, that's like so great. I get to take people to a, a place I love and they're creatives. So I think what happened was that as I increased the level of ease in my body and just being more fluid myself, I stopped attracting such um, like people that are in executive positions and you know that the entrepreneur that's really like go 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 and makes things happen. That's a very mental space. It's very mental. And I'd I'd step back from being so mental. So I started attracting people that had more of that creative flow. They were mental because they were smart and they were business people and that I could roll with but they weren't running their lives that way because half the time they were in creation mode, which requires them to let go and be in the flow and know and listen and take risks. And so they have an experience of that. So somehow that them having an experience of that like mode of being is what I experience when I'm doing that in the rest of my life. So now what I do is help them translate that to all of their life pretty much. Like how do you run your business that way in relationships and like how do you translate that everywhere the immersion so like process yes yeah and so i think it was like going within and being that quote unquote radically self-centered somehow shifted who was attracted to me because who i was being changed and that be the way i'm being now just aligns more with creatives and i've had clients tell me that are like um the girl I run, um, the woman I run the creatives retreat with in Bali was my client for a year. Right. And she said to me, I can't even, like, you have to work with creatives because you're, 
way of explaining things and, and moving through the world is so helpful to creatives. She said, you have to work with creatives. And that was really validation. I'm like, okay, this is what I'm getting. And I guess this is who I'm supposed to tell. I love it because that's speaking the language of the person, right? Like the, the right. significant person that you're here to serve. And that's a huge proponent. That's a huge part of the entrepreneurial journey is learning yes. whatever it is that your person needs you to say so that <laughs> they can invest in themselves to become the next version of themselves. So exactly, I love that. Yeah. Now I want to get like super curious about things that I don't know anything about yeah. speaking about like saying, I don't know. So yeah. you Kelly have something that I don't have. And that means that you have traveled the world and seen all sorts of religions and populations yeah. in their practices. And like, I'm so curious into like, so what made you, cause most people, when they think about traveling for three weeks, everybody may go to an all inclusive or they might, you know what I mean? Stay in a safe place where yeah. everything you said earlier was like, you wanted to like get into the temples, into the churches, into all the spiritual like aspects of life. Yeah. Like what, what experience has that had on you? And where like some cool stories would be amazing. <laughs> yeah. Like one of my favorite things is actually going to a place, getting off of the plane and not having a plan. And I saw that early being, that would blow up my mind because it was, you can't control when you don't have a plan. So I would make it speed that I couldn't control. I was going to put myself into that flow of life and see what would happen. Who are we going to meet? Where are we going to go? What are the opportunities that arise? And so it was really fun to do that. I think I mean, okay, but I need thing, to know, like, give me a place you went where without a place, like, okay. give, so that I can at least, like, yeah. I'm like, because I could get so, off a plane in New York and do that, but, like, this is, this is not the same experience you were having. Which you could in New York, and you would have an amazing experience doing Yes, it. yes. The, uh, but, okay, so say uh, Thailand or Nepal. Those are places, I mean, I've been all through Southeast Asia. I love um, Nepal and Indonesia are my favorites. So say Indonesia. For me, one of the things, like, we did a boat trip one year, seven-week boat trip. And that was really amazing. We got on a boat. This was magic because we just decided, we're like, oh, we've got some time. We kind of want to get on a boat. But how the heck are we going to afford to get on a boat like, and sail for a month? You know. So we actually just went down to the docks and we started talking to the locals and we're hanging out just like, oh, we'd like to get on a boat. And ultimately, after hanging out on the docks for a while, we met a surfer who was taking, chartering a boat up to Thailand and said, well, do you need a crew? And he said, sure, you know, come on, you can help crew, you can help cook a little bit. And we basically sailed and surfed for seven weeks in the ocean. We stopped on the islands, you would pull up, like pull up to a beach. And my favorite part was you just get off and go up and you don't know the people. So you're meeting random school kids and they'll give you a tour of the village, invite you in for tea. And, and that was really amazing because Indonesia is the largest Muslim country in the world. And this is something that always fascinates me is I traveled overland after 9-11 in Indonesia. And that forever changed my viewpoint because here in the States, there's this whole, you know, like there's so much media against like Muslim countries and Muslim people. And I thought I have never, ever experienced anything but kindness from these people and really truly people that are living their day to day practices, inviting us in for tea Oh, come see the school. Why don't you see my weaving that I'm doing? And then, you know, we do that and we load up on the boat and we go somewhere else. So lots of travels like that. But I think that's a really true testament to you because I know that, um, you know, my, my, I grew up around mental illness. And so, you know, we were, I was taught fear. 
right? Yeah. I was yeah. taught, don't talk to strangers, don't leave, get too far from home, don't do all of these things. So you have had a life in which you learned trust, and you know, early. Right. And that's something that yeah. there's a lot of people that that's a big word to them. They're like, I don't trust people. I don't trust like everything comes yeah. with, you know, something attached to it, or somebody's going to want something or something. And here you are just open to whatever the experience was going to be because you never had the alternate belief in the fear. Right. Like, I can't just do that. Yeah. And I mean, when you're traveling for a decade, back and forth overseas, things happen, you know, but I never put the value on those things. I always put the value on all the other things that happened. The woman at the well laughing, trying to help me hold the bucket of water on my head. The people who have no money, they're making less than a dollar a day, but they're giving us food you know, inviting us into their home, into their place of worship, you know, letting us hang out with their kids. Those are the things that I would just, I would choose to value those things as the world is an open, friendly, amazing place. And we are all alike. We all want the same thing. And that is, and then because I spent so much time in Bali and that's a Hindu island and Hinduism is incredibly inclusive. They have no, they don't care what religion you are. They don't care. Like in the sense that they're like, come in. You know, this is all about one, oneness, you know, and they're very, very inclusive. And so I've spent a lot, a lot of time in Bali. And that's, I think, infused me as well, that, that we can all be different, and yet we're all the same. And I think that maybe that's a little proof to, for me, that it's constantly a choice. Every day we're faced with choices, and I choose to see, not because I pretend it doesn't exist. You know, there are people that are imbalanced and do things that are unkind. There are people that are imbalanced and do things that are violent and hateful. But I guess I see the world as a reflection of the inside. So I see when I see someone doing something that I'm like, wow, there must be suffering happening inside. How can I be more kind to them? Yeah. They don't need less love. They need more love. <laughs> Right? And that's, that's, that's true. And I truly believe that once we get to that space of clearing out the I call them as like the triggers of our past that whenever something's happening in our present moment, you guys, and we have like anger or we have upset or, you know, jealousy or comparison or any of those things, generally speaking, it has zero to do with what is happening in that moment, right? It is coming right. from somewhere else within us that we're still carrying something from our previous selves, if you will. And yeah. so like, you know, we get to that space when we've done the work within ourselves where, you know, what's happening on the external, we can see it through the lens of love because we've cleared out all of those echoes or those moments, experiences, things that have yep. kind of held us hostage really in fear. And so the more you can release those, the more you can just expand into that loving knowledge that we are one giant community, one vibration, one person. Right. Right. And I, yeah. I just love you, Kelly, by the way, this conversation is <laughs> so powerful. It's so fun because I feel like I don't always get to talk about this, you know, but it's, I mean, with my clients, yeah, they hire me and we talk about it or my friends or people in our group program. But after that, there's still a lot of people that have fear and resistance and even just the mention that, you know, my openness to all people, even when they're not kind, you know, it's like that can really trigger people because I think there's so much defense and resistance to each other and that can build if we let it build, but it's really, and then I'm like, God, sometimes I sound so woo woo. I sound so like peace, love and happiness, you know, but the truth is, is that I've seen through action. This is not just like, let me pretend the world is great. 
you know, when and I think we can do this here or overseas, but it's that moment to moment decision. Like I said, we always are having choices. So in this moment, I'm going to ask myself in this situation, am I going to believe the old stories I've heard about the people in front of me, you know, that I'm going to believe one of the old stories that the, some media source told me or family members told me, or am I going to choose to be present right now with these people in front of me and ask like, is that really true? Or am I looking at these people right now as who they are right now? And so I might see them like in the, say in the Muslim country, right? After 9-11, holy cow, there was so much uh, negativity filling our minds about the fear, right? It's just an easy example to use that one, but that, and then going on land and realizing I'm looking at these people and they have nothing to do with that story. So I can choose to let that go and be present right now and create a relationship with them. Well, and I think that it's it's reciprocal, right? Because they probably have heard all of that about the about Americans. Americans as well, right? And so <laughs> then it walks Kelly Sheets, who is sunshine and rainbows, and like she right. glows, by the way, people, she glows. Just so all know, like she was like literally lighting up my screen. And just being an essence of pure love. And so there, even yeah. you're altering their beliefs in what's yes. going on over yeah. here. Yeah. I used to laugh because if you've traveled, you'll notice that Canadians, Canadians, wear <laughs> Canadian flags because they don't want to be mistaken as Americans. And that was my first time I ever realized that I was like, oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know there's a thing for Canadians not to want to be seen as Americans. And I saw that and I was like, oh, that's really interesting. There's an opportunity here that I'm, not that I'm some big ambassador or something, but everything I do matters because. Some Americans are loud and obnoxious jerks, right? They're totally oblivious, but there's a lot of Americans that aren't. And I'm going to be the American that's not. I'm going to connect in and I'm going to give them an opportunity to see what else is possible, right? Like that Americans aren't all that obnoxious (laughs) movie screen kind of thing that they think. Well, and I mean, this is a really powerful story, you guys, because like I've known because most of my friends, online friends, whatever, they're still friends, um, are Americans. And sometimes they have said to me, like when I travel, I say I'm Canadian, right? And I'm not trying to boast my own country, but because of that discomfort and these beliefs and these like almost like a expectation that somebody is going to have a negative or a hurtful or an angry response to them based on societal and, you know, worldly yeah. and all these things that are going on. So yeah. I love, like I did, I loved you before, but I love you even more <laughs> for wanting to shift perspectives. Yeah. And I mean, it could be easy for, I think the easy way, the familiar way would be to like to not, right. To, for me to just not own that. But the reality is it's like, you know, I can like go with my labels. I'm just a person, right? I happen to be born in the US. I happen to have this absolute luxury of this beautiful blue passport and this money that lets me go all around the world. So part of that is that I should, I should own that, like, and I should be the best me so that people can be open, you know, that, you know, people come in all different forms and fashions. And like, I have to say, because th- my thoughts go to all sorts of things, so you're just going to be on my magical journey with me, because I, <laughs> I happen to have four kids, right? And I have Ooh, yeah. a son who's 20. And if my, one of my kids was just randomly like, I'm going to start traveling the world all the time and going all these places, yeah. <laughs> right? Like, yes. what did, were your parents saying? What were people around you oh. saying? You were like, just jet set yeah. Well, thank God I probably didn't have the consciousness to be totally aware of what my mom was thinking because I know that it was, I know it was torture for them at times. I know there were, 
I mean, I could be away for weeks at a time and never even email in some country that my mom had to identify on the map, you know? So I, now I have so much more empathy for, I know for her that would have been very emotionally and spiritually trying for her to actually be able to manage herself knowing she didn't know where I was. And didn't know who I, you know, like she just didn't know anything. So I know that was terrifying for her. Well, I just, I think it's so powerful, right? Because like you, but I also believe, right? Like it's probably part of her spiritual journey as well. Right. To get to but that me. Patching <laughs> from our kids and knowing that they can take care of themselves and do yeah. the things and we don't have to like micromanage right. and control. So I think that that, but yeah. I just wanted to know what was going on on the other oh, side. Oh gosh. And then, and friends wise, it's been really interesting because I had to transition, you know, I spend more time in the States now. And uh, what's been interesting is I used to have this way of being with friends, right? Kelly was the friend that they loved to see, but that was always away. So I would, when I would come back to the States, I'd make contact. I'd send postcards or emails. But then when I got back, I would call everybody up and be like, let's get together. I'm back. And then I got to this place where I'm back here more often. I started thinking, my friends don't reach out to me. Why is nobody reaching out to me? And I knew they loved me, but I realized I'd created this pattern that the way it works is that Kelly goes away and then she comes back and she reaches out. So my friendships were different because I didn't have the clicks and the close scoops of friendships that like a lot of people do. You know, I don't have like people that I would go that I would always hang out with. I have people in California and Oregon and New Jersey where I'm from. I have people in Bali. I just see different people at different times. So my relationships are definitely different. And I think there's some positives and negatives about that. Can I ask a really deeply personal question? Yeah, of course. I just, honestly, I start getting, like, I start tuning into who might be listening to the show, yeah. and I start, like, asking the questions that somebody might want to hear, mm -hmm. and it's kind of piggybacks on, um, you know, some other conversations I've had in other episodes, but can we touch on the decision not to have kids? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, you're great. <laughs> because, you know, I talked about this in a podcast not long ago. It was interesting how it was, like, the thread of part of the podcast, and I got emails afterwards thanking me for talking about it. So I think it's probably good. I'm sure some of your listeners are curious. So I kind of knew when I was really, really young that I didn't want to have kids. I, I don't know how I knew that. I just knew. And then I never, that decision really never changed. Like I didn't have a, des I knew that I had to just follow the desire. And I knew that if it changed at some point, I had a desire to have children, I would have to reassess. But I didn't want to have children because everyone told me I should. Society tells you should. And um, believe me, I got whirlwinds for years, probably two decades, judgment and fear of other people that I would miss the opportunity, that I would regret it. And so every time I just had to use my curiosity. Okay, is this still how I feel? Am I being honest with myself? Like, am I not having kids because I want the freedom of my life? Am I not having, like, why am I doing this? And I just be curious, probably year after year after year. And there was one year where I had seven friends around me who were pregnant. And that year was the only year I was like, okay, we, we really need to think about this now. And I knew, I just knew I love babies and I like kids and I, I just think they're fascinating and I don't want to raise them. I don't want to have them. And that was the best thing I could do. I realized was that that is what I'm supposed to do. You know, I don't want to have kids because I'm supposed and to. I just like, I just want to like say kudos to you because I love how grounded you've been into yourself this whole time. Because that's something that, you know, we work with people who are trying to find that part of yeah. themselves, but there's always been that space within you that you've known. Like you, who at 25 says, I want to go three weeks on, three months on, three weeks off. Like who says that, Kelly? I don't know. And this is still, when I say it, I'm like, I don't know where that came from. Sometimes I'm like, 
would I still do that today? Like it's mind boggling sometimes what has occurred in my life. And that's the thing is I think my commitment was to follow the curiosity and the thread. And that was just great enough that I did the gutsy, ridiculous things I did. I could have totally been turned down for that job. And it turned out to be a great job for, you know, many years. So I know. I just like, I just want to give kudos to you. That's all I'm saying. Because like you have been full Kelly. Yeah. Your whole life and yet open to the opportunities and the nuances and the synchronicities yeah. and, you know, the shifts that were occurring in front of you and fearlessly yeah. kind of moving in the direction that you were being guided. And I think that that yeah. in itself is something that's, you know, really powerful. So touch on, if you will, because I think that people listening might be like, who is this Kelly girl? She's freaking amazing. Like, <laughs> but I'm like, you work with creatives. Yeah. So I work with entrepreneurs. Um, they generally, when I say creatives, they generally have a creative angle. They don't all have a creative business, but they always have a creative love in their life. They value some creative expression. So like I said, a lot of my clients are currently actively have a business that okay, is related to their question. artwork or, or creative expression. But I also have some executives who are still hanging around and do the work with me, but they, they have a creative side. Like they might quilt as their love on the side, but then they have this business job that they do. But because they have that, they, they know the value of that flow. That's the kind of person I work with. And they don't all have businesses actually. Um, most of them have businesses, but I have had clients that don't have businesses. They just have a curiosity. I mean, to me, that's the number one thing, the curiosity for how to live more fulfilled. Like, so then my question for you, working with creatives and the artists and the musicians, how is it like, what is the difference for a creative mind or the language of a creative versus the leader? Like how does, do you like, how do they like resonate? Like how, what's the vibration of that? Cause like, I'm thinking of it as people are listening right now and, and they may be painters or they may be, you know, mm -hmm. uh, musicians or things like that and thinking, well, what is it that somebody is, has a business separate? Like what, we're over here. What is the difference that, you know, and how you lead us um, in a way because I'm creative. I like to think of myself yeah. as creative. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So for me, le I'm still a leadership coach because I help people lead themselves. Like, and when you lead yourself, you are a natural leader of others. So for me, that's that leadership thread. So really, again, it doesn't have to, it doesn't really matter what the business is. If the, the desires are to be more curious about your life and how you can be fulfilled. If you want to more, be more expressive in your creative endeavors and explore like what else you haven't explored yet, like how much more expressive can you be? Those are the kind of conversations. If you're looking at your business and you're like, or yourself at work, in the business you're at and you're feeling a little bit dissonant where you're like, wait, I feel like I'm this creative over here, but then when I'm at work, I have to get all serious and mindy. And there's that kind of wonkiness. Those are the things. So I really help the people have that live more fully in all areas of their life, everything connecting so that like who I am here with you right now is who I am with a client. It's who I am with Jeff. It's who I am with my friends. It's who I am when I'm over. I'm always the same person. There's no posing. There's no, I have to put on a different hat. Mm -hmm. like my intentions of who I am are always who I am. And that's the, that for me is a really important thread because then we don't waste energy anywhere else. Like we're just always who we are. Like there's no pretending. Repray sister, repray. Yeah. Um, so where does Bali fit in all this, Kelly? Yeah. So because I love Bali so much and I never ever wanted to take people there, people would say, why don't you do retreats in Bali? I'm like, no way. That's mine. <laughs> when I go to Bali, it's mine. 
And then finally I started doing private retreats. So I take people privately, like one-on-one, like you and me can go to Bali and, and I would do a week long intensive. Um, and really I love it because it's an immersion into a culture that is really amazing and giving practices. And then I now do uh, retreats. So I do group retreats with um, small groups of people and we go over and we explore the culture and, you know, creative expression and self-awareness. I'm just asking, now I'm moving into business questions because I just want to go there. So is that separate for you or the retreat separate from your actual coaching or are they like when you're in coaching with me, you get to come to the retreat? Yeah. So pretty much um, I'm always this way. So like I'm always coaching. So if we go to Bali together and we're working on creativity, there's, there's some coaching happening. I'm always looking at what do you want out of this? And really the way I set up my private coaching just depends on the person. I don't have any, like, you have to coach with me for a year. So they might say, I'm going to coach with you for a few months and I'm going to go to Bali with you. Or they go to Bali with me and then coach for a few months. It might be that they're working with me and I take them privately to Bali. Oh, I love this. This is like, you're just breaking all the molds of everything I know right now, Kelly. You're just like, oh yeah, you are. So you have no prescriptive programs. You have no like masterminds. You have no like whatever. We have a, yeah. And even we do have a group program that just has like the weekly movement, the subtle movement practices, which has been epic, by the way. We just did a survey that 100% of the participants have reduced or eliminated anxiety, which was like huge awareness to me. So that is an ongoing thing. But again, it's a monthly subscri- subscription. So you don't, if you don't want to do it after a couple of months, you just stop. All those decisions for me changed because I was following the formulas a few years ago, like two yeah. years ago. I tried everything that I was advised and it didn't feel like this is the thing about me being me everywhere. Mm-hmm. That's not how I am. I'm really fluid. You know, like I'll be, I'll make a decision and I change quickly. I think fast. So to ask someone to commit to doing something for long term doesn't jive with how I work, like as a human. For some people it does because working together for a period of time or having a program is exactly how they work and how their client works. But I just realized, why am I trying to do this? It's not, it's not how I work. And I'm asking them to do something that doesn't work for me or them. So, so then I just started to, and this was another risk, right? Like it's a risk. I don't know. When I tell someone you don't have to commit to working for a long time with me, that means they could, you know, I don't have any uh, set like, oh, my income's done for the whole year. It's like, I had to show up and be me the whole time because the more I'm me and the more on I am, the more likely they're going to get more out of it and they're going to stay longer and get better results. So I'm just doing this because I know that there's a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to this podcast. And I think that what you're doing is actually very powerful because I truly believe a business comes from within. um, And, you know, we're not all meant to do the same thing. There's no one right business model. There's no one right way to follow a practice or a plan or things like that. And so to to help them understand um, that this is possible, do you just offer like one on one? Like there's no there's no like set anything. So like, this is how I've set up my business is that I have a couple tiers, right? We have like the, the subscription based monthly program, again, one month at a time and you stay as long as it's serving you. It's a group and I'm in there. Yeah. So the second thing is I do the one-on-one. So then it's one-on-one for either, I usually ask for a month commitment and then just say, please consider doing three months because that's when you'll really get changed. But that doesn't mean like after a month, if we're like, this is not a fit, we stop. Right. And then I do the Bali retreats. So then, then it's like, we're going to set this up and we're going to go to Bali for a week together, either privately or as a group. And that's really how it is. And what I find is that 
some people stay longer than others and it works. So it's really dependent on them and what their needs it's are. On them. Yeah. It's not dependent on me. They're my clients. So I really make it based on them. And I, I don't like to pull people along. Right. And I think that this is a really powerful guys because, and I'm just saying this from my perspective here is that it's not about us. And it's really when we focus on the results of the person that we're here to serve, that's when expansion and growth happens in all areas of our lives is when we can kind of, it's like the more we focus on them, the more our, you know, we make the money comes naturally that way. And you know what I mean? Our life shifts naturally that way because we're not thinking about what I need. And this is like, I need mm -hmm. clients, I need money. I need all of that. Right. We that to a space of how can I serve? What, what do my people need? What are their, you know, how can I help them get their results and things like that? And we mm -hmm. shift it from us to them. And I think that you've just right. explained that so powerfully as what you do. Yeah. And I mean, there's, again, there's an inherent risk in that, right? If you have a family and you've got to have all, you know, you support your kids and your family and your mortgage and all of that, then there may be a point where you start out with a more rigid plan, right? Because you're trying to figure this all out. And, and then slowly, like, I've learned what's working for me. And the more fluid I am, the more successful I seem to be. It's weird. So it's like, that's what I've learned works for me. Other people, it's not the same. So it's like, you have to really figure out what works for you. And I think that I'm going to touch on something here because I'm going to ask you a question. So yeah. would you say you have a high risk tolerance, Kelly Sheets? <laughs> I probably do because I've programmed, and I don't think I was born with that. Like, I think I've programmed myself to recognize that the risks are so much more rewarding than me thinking, wishing, hoping, complaining, comparing, that I'm like, okay, just ramp up and just do it, right? And then when I do it, the reward is I know then. Yes. Either it worked or it didn't work. So and powerful. I'm, I'm powerful because then I know, not someone else telling me. And my mind is not running the show then. And it's me. Like, well, because I'm a high-risk taker too. So I'm like, I'm not alone. I know I'm not no. alone. We kind of touched Good. something at the beginning of this call, you guys, where we were just like, yeah, I'm kind of looking at this last year and going like, man, I don't know what I do. What happened? Yeah. Kind of went by. And it's like, I know that I invested so much in so many things. And then I'm like, maybe they didn't quite pan out the way that I thought they would. <laughs> So I'm grateful that I have, you know, company with me that, you know, it's worth it because I've learned so much. I would rather have the learning and the knowledge that I have now having made those decisions than if I had never made them in the first place. Yeah. And, you know, our decisions, what I've noticed actually is when I'm listening to myself, when I'm paying attention to what's going on inside, when I'm centered, the opportunity comes along and I say yes. And then I go to the opportunity and I, do the business thing or whatever. And then I'm thinking, why did I do this? This does not feel like it paid off. I don't understand. When I can just let all that judgment go, somehow later something comes up or it doesn't, but I'm not worried about it anymore. Okay. I don't know why this is all, I don't know. Right. I don't, I just don't know sometimes. Well, I just love the word detachment. Yes. <laughs> Detaching from results or outcomes or all the things. Yep. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. So my final question for you before I ask how people can reach out to you because your energy is freaking amazing and I love you. Um, I maybe said that like three times <laughs> like the whole conversation is I am the biggest book nerd in the world. I read first thing in the morning and last thing before I go to bed. Um, 
your book, like any book that just like pops into your mind that you're like, yes, this is it. This is the book that, you know, these listeners and everybody Tamara needs right now. Oh my gosh. You're putting me on the spot. Of course so I am. <laughs> the reason that I'm saying that is because I've read so many books and I don't have one. Like now I I've been reading less because I've been trying to let, let go of some of the information. So I'll just, actually, I'll tell you one of the books I've read recently that I think is highly valuable and super helpful for me. And that was Ram Dass's new book, um, Walking Each Other Home, I think it's called. And Ram Dass wrote a book about conversations on living and dying. And what was so amazing about that and why I want more people to read that book was it's the reminder that everything has a cycle of life and death, every creation, every person. And that he really talks about how important it is to acknowledge that we are all going to die. And what, how does that frame our lives? And I think it's so beautiful because that, that's been on my mind lately, the recognition and knowing that. I'm like, yeah, that's right. That's why I created my life this way because I worked with elders who were going to die and I could see that. And I yeah. knew that you have, to, you have to be present and live. So I love that book. I'll say well, that. I want you to know that I think that this is a gift from the universe that you said that too, by the way, because I have seen his documentary come up on Netflix oh, yeah. and been like, yeah. I, I should watch that. Like, but yes. not in the should way, but like, in a, right. I want to, like my energy is buzzing when I see it pass yep. by. Like that's something. So like the fact that you just happened to mention that book is like, okay, yeah. universe, I clearly yeah. need to like step up. And, and did you watch the documentary? I did. You know, he's really become this beautiful example of what it is to be an elder and someone who is unattached, practicing. This is being loving and kind. And he's just truly what, you know, any of us would want to think of as like our elders that we would look to. And that's what I've watched over the last many years. And I just love him. So his book thank is really great. I, yeah. Cool. That is like, thank you. I'm so grateful for that. And um, you are listening and you're like, Kelly Sheets is the bomb. Like I'm thinking right now, guys, truly <laughs> and completely. How do I get in this energy bubble that she legitimately has and be in her space <laughs> and find out more about you? Where can they go for some more Kelly Sheets? Okay. Well, my website's kellysheets.com. So you can look there. Um, and, and I've been loving Instagram lately. So uh, my Instagram handle is at kelsheets, K-E-L, sheets, and um, Facebook. But mostly like, you know, you can find me on all those links are also on my, my, my website. So check me out there. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much for your joy and your light in this podcast. Thank you. I'm so great. so glad that we got to connect. I hope we get to connect more. <laughs> I know. I clearly we will. Like, come on now. <laughs> um, thank you everybody for listening. If you need to get a hold of Kelly, get a hold of Kelly. And please don't hesitate in sharing uh, any messages you got from this podcast with either of us. Like we are here to be in the highest level of service that we can and sharing any part of your journey, even if it's as simple as listening to this podcast and having a moment or an aha please tag us in social media and let us know because it's a celebration for you and for us as well. And so have an amazing day, everyone. And we will be back on Monday.